Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. We're finishing our little series on uh, feeling secure in an insecure world. No, that, that's the wrong title, but anyway. Feeling secure in an insecure world. I had feeling insecure in an insecure world. Um, basically tonight is overcoming insecurity. A couple of things just we mentioned last time, just two interesting things were the issue of life is not how the world is, it's how you are. And we learnt this, your difficulties are invitations to learn more powerful truth than what you know now. So let's, let's just have a look at a few things tonight. I was talking to my daughter about this during the week. She's training to be a clinical psychologist and she was telling me they'd just done this study that day in uni where there was a, a study, I, you know, my technical language isn't good, but anyway, they studied people who'd won the lottery and the effect on them six months down the track on their happiness and people who'd become paraplegics and the effect on them six months down the track. The interesting thing was that six months later, the lottery winners were less happy than the paraplegics. The paraplegics had a very high level of returning to the level of happiness they had before the accident. Like, it didn't happen overnight, but over time they were able to adjust. And it was, they found that the happiness wasn't based on what had happened to them, but, but who they were. And so who they were in it returned. Um, and the funny thing was with the lottery winners, <laughs> they had so much new stuff and so much new responsibility that goes with looking after the stuff that they were just didn't quite return to the level of happiness before they had before they won the lottery. And you and I, I don't know if you're like me, I was thinking, gee, it'd be great to win the lottery, yeah, do everything, man, be really happy, man. Doesn't work, eh? Like, what, what an amazing study. Um, personal insecurities are the root cause of most relational breakdowns. Um, there's no fail-safe environments we can live in, so it's really important to develop, you know, security in, in God. Um, uh, our dog died between last, you know, part one, two weeks ago and now. And I learned that I was uh, way over emotionally attached. And Ellie, my daughter, and I kind of do that. We get really strong emotional attachments to things. And we had to admit to the rest of the family, we're just a tad over emotional. And now we're suffering for it. We're upset and we're crying but we thought, you know what, if we have another pet, we'll do the same thing again because we just like that deep connection. It's just kind of our thing. But guess what? That costs you there. But we, we figured out after you know, a few talks that the cost is worthwhile. Um, but you know, in prayer, I had to work through a little bit of, of this, you know, God, why is this hurting so much? I've lost my dog. And it was, um, you've let her become the source instead of me. So I used her to help you, but now you're just, you just keep looking, I've lost the source, I've lost the source, so you better get your eyes back on, on me as the source and then we'll work this through. And it was really good. It, it, it was really helpful and I thought, what a, what a good life lesson. And in Scripture, an interesting example of two guys that failed in similar areas but had very different outcomes were Peter and Judas. One, you know, was denial, one was betrayal, but, but they're not that different to each other. They are different, but they're in the same kind of category. Um, so I'll just read to you a little bit 
on, on Judas. Just a couple of things. First one is out of John 6, around uh, verse 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. So that's why even what I'm trying to get you to do tonight is go, let's just push our flesh aside a little bit. Let's move in the Spirit more. And it feels good, eh? Don't you feel good after church Sunday night? Do you notice going to church Sunday night's like, your flesh is like, I want to be like everyone else, man. I just want to stay home. Drag yourself to church. But when you're going home from church, when they're feeling down because they've been selfish, you're starting to feel really good because you've been unselfish and your spirit's taking a lift. So I find Sunday night ends up a high. Um, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. There's a thing to worship God for. The fact that you're sitting here. Because in your flesh, I don't know about you, I never would have chosen to sit here. It was just the work of God in my life. And sometimes it's really good if I just thank him for that in worship. Um, From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he turns to the 12 and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? Just a great answer. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you was a devil? So I don't know if Jesus got it wrong or he just chose you know Judas in his weakness because there was a whole deal there that the whole of creation had to learn. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. And I'll just show you when your spirit's not right with God, and you can work your way back from this, but don't let it take over. Um, uh, here it is here. John uh, 12, 4 to 7. Uh, but one of his disciples, this so, you know, Jesus gets his feet anointed and the, the lady's just beautiful, you know, really ministers to him because he's about to die on a cross and he says how it really ministered to him. He says this, it says this, but one of his disciples, this is after that happened, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So he's trying to make them all feel guilty, like he knows more, like he's superior, like he's got a higher understanding of things than God. It's, it's what the enemy does. Remember in the garden, the enemy said to Eve, did, did God really say it? And you will find in your week, the enemy will challenge you occasionally on things like that. Does God really love you? Did it really say that? Is it really going to work out for you? He tries to sow that wrong seed. And that, but the Bible says an incredible thing. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus says, leave her alone. But in the, in the Hebrew, he actually says it quite aggressively. It's like, back off, Jacko, and leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing. Do you see that in some people? Have you met Christians that do that? They do an intense, super spiritual thing and you feel a bit guilty and they feel a bit superior. I've, I've come across it. It's, it's manipulative and it's tricky to discern and according to scripture, it's really, really ugly. 
So just don't let anyone put you down with their super spiritual attitude to things. Um, something else might, might be going on there. Okay. Um, so humility for a Christian is a bit of a deal, but I found a really good definition of humility in this book on Hebrew words. It's like a devotional. The word for humility in Hebrews is anava, but you sort of go, you've got to do all those sounds I can't do. Um, it says this, the literal definition of anava is to occupy your God-given space in the world. Not overestimate yourself or your abilities, but don't underestimate them either. Um, and this guy mentions how at the Tower of Babel, they said, we want to make a famous name for ourselves. And that's like an example of taking up too much space. Their motivation was the opposite of Anavar because they wanted to take up more than their God-given space in the world. So he says this, and this was true of, of my upbringing as well. Growing up, I was taught that humility was thinking less of yourself by taking up the smallest possible space. It was like, I'm nothing, everyone else, you know, is better. Uh, he says, the important thing is, in humility, don't take up so much space that it squeezes others out, but don't take up so little space that your responsibilities fall onto other people. Isn't that a great thing? So I find truly humble people are very confident. Because in their space, they just know how to operate. Anyway, just, I just really like that, that definition of humility. Okay, two things. First thing, insecurity blocks our ability to find our own significance. We kind of do, do the worm thing. Um, distrust, fear, unbelief all erode our well-being through robbing us of our trust in God. And that's called unbelief in Scripture. Um, Insecurity is, is a root of, of wrong judgments that wreck your relationships up. Um, admitting our own inadequacy is a powerful thing, and people don't mind it. And it's okay to ask for help, because that's, that's being authentic. Um, it's just interesting. I find Ross's personality really interesting. <laughs> She's really good at not playing it safe. I'm quite radical in some things and play it really safe. In other things, but she, she's just weird, as in right weird. When it, you know, when there's a storm and there's lightning, she thinks that's a really good time to go for a walk in the bush because <laughs> no one will be around and she'll see the power of God and she gets it all to herself. I know. <laughs> it doesn't freak her out. Anyway. Um, she, she goes into the wilderness in the Barrington just all day and gets lost and doesn't care and finds a way back. And if you would have heard a last story a month ago, meets weird people who have stolen cars. Anyway, and helps them. Anyway, and doesn't get killed. Um, she just can kind of not worry about the consequence in a really healthy way and, and, and move on. And when we first became Christians... I was still working out, and Ros goes, we're going on a missions trip, and she says, now if someone arrests me and, and holds a gun to my head and say, deny Christ or I'm going to kill you, just let them kill me. And I'm thinking, well, don't let them kill me. I'll just pretend I'm not a Christian and apologise to God later because I don't want to die. Um, <laughs> but can you see the difference? Like, I had more stuff to work through, even though at the time her things seemed really stupid, but... 
there's just this courage and this trust and there's this dependence on God. If he takes me home now, I get to go to heaven. So what is there to be afraid of? She just seems to get that. Anyway, for what it's worth. Um, insecurity can make you a control freak and leave you with an absence of meaningful love in your life. Um, it does judge way too harshly and can trap you in your past. It, it, it interests me just in, you know, helping out churches over the years and seeing things, and now I'm mainly mentor senior pastors, but I, I I'm, think I'm finding this. I, I, I don't know up 100%, but I see when they're insecure and trying to cling on to the title because their identity's in their title, I think I'm starting to see that that's actually a form of pride because they have this thing that makes them feel better than other people and they don't want to let it go. But I'm thinking... That's an idol. Why do you want to feel better than other people? That, that's not a good thing. That doesn't work. That's not kingdom. That's idol. That's pride. God can't honour that. Um, so it's just interesting what you see or even find in yourself of what are you trying to cling to too hard and maybe need just a, a bit too much. So... Sometimes you've got to uncover it in yourself and take it to God and, and then repent and, and work it through again. Um, second point, overcoming insecurity. Um, I, I, I felt to share this, and I really don't want to because I think no one will like me anymore. Um, but I don't preach to be liked. I preach to share truth that helps you in your life. So the story is when I was... Um, 16, 17 at school, so that's um, 1970, 1971. There was this stuff going on, uh, you know, I would hang with all the surfers, and at Manly Wharf, all the Sharpies would come in from the west with their flick knives, and there'd be, be these big battles on Manly Wharf. So the surfers only had wax and surfboards. We had nothing to fight with, so it went through all the schools. Let's all show up and just outnumber them, and if you've got a knife, bring it with you. And so... I'm not a Christian, so I go to that. I've got a pocket knife. It's about this big. So I hang down the back. There's about 200 surfers and about 60 Sharpies, and then there's this big fight. So I'm just hanging at the back, pushing everyone forward. Um, no, one died. no one died. I was a coward. and um, But it left me out of insecurity carrying a pocket knife in my pocket. And I had some friends that weren't so good and on Saturday nights they'd kind of get into trouble and sometimes I would hang with them. And it just wasn't a good thing to have a knife in your pocket because the thing is, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So they mouthed off to some army guy and he's chasing us with a bat and is going to beat the daylights out of us. I dive and hide behind a wall and he goes straight past and misses me. And, but I can remember lying there thinking, if he finds me, what do I do? Probably I should just let him beat me up because if I pull the knife, that's a threat to him and that's going to make him worse and maybe he'll kill me instead of just beating me up. So it leaves you with all this, yeah. And then another thing happened where we're away surfing and I had the knife in pocket. I'd never used it. And I don't like people who use knives. Anyway, one of my friends who we used to surf with was a really gentle guy, but when he got drunk, he'd become a bully. And he was bullying me this night, so I pulled a knife. And he kept going, so I slashed his hand. And he stopped. And that was okay, 
But that was the end of the friendship. And I had a really good friend there who was with me. And he said later, you know, when it, when it all quieted down and, and we're going home, he said, I don't respect you anymore. That's a really slack thing to do. So that friendship was over as well. And interestingly enough, still to this day when I get hassled, you know, you read in the paper about violence done to someone or someone gets stabbed and I'll think, oh, I hate that. Let them have it, God. And he goes, well, he just flashes me back to that. What about you? So you might need to change your attitude here. And it's just like it still catches me out to this day. It, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because it, it's an ugly thing, but I think we all have things like that. That's one of those shame things in my life. So sometimes the enemy can have a field day with that. Sometimes God just confronts me with it, uses it for good to get me to change my attitude. But can you see I was carrying it because I felt unsafe. I felt insecure. But the things that the world puts in your hand or the enemy puts in your hand to make you feel safer, they don't work because I kept with that thing that was supposed to be my security just getting in deeper and deeper and thinking, it made, we're confronted with a whole lot of other stuff. So the world's answers aren't that good. God's answers are. And sometimes you don't know in advance what God, God's answer is going to be, but that's where as Christians we've got to go to him and get our answers on that stuff. We, we don't have to defend our insecurity. We want to expose it and bring it to God and bring it, bring it into the light. Confront insecurity in yourself. Take God's side against it and release your past to God. Because um, the Bible talks a lot about lose your life to find it. So, so when the pastor's are insecure, and I try and confront them gently on that because we've all got our stuff. Um, the scripture I so often use is, but Terry, will I be all right if, if I let it go? What will happen? I just bring out that scripture. Aren't we supposed to lose our life to find it? And I, and I find in those moments where just you're feeling insecure but you bring it to God and you just have that little taste of, I'm losing my life here, I'm surrendering, not knowing what it leads to, or get away from those friends, they're not good for you, but how will I know if I have any friends? That's losing your life to find it, going to God, asking him, asking him to lay the people on your heart to hang with, or whatever it is, and, and you find your life starts to take these different directions that produce fruit for you. Because um, your own uniqueness is a good thing, and, and losing your life to find... To find it helps you go into your own, your own uniqueness. Because we're all a unique expression of Jesus Christ. That means within our DNA, God's created us to just show a different angle. Like, like if, if Jesus is a diamond, you're one of the facets of the diamond that no one else has. And so when you go into your uniqueness over time, you get, you get to bring out an aspect of God that, that people need. And you've got it. I've got it. All of you sitting here have, have you know, one aspect of the diamond that only you can bring out. So going into your difference and your uniqueness is actually really important. Um, just, just a funny thing because it was just one of my testimonies. When we came to Newcastle, we were in a church of 800 and I was the associate pastor and, and young to be in that role. 
and we really felt to come to this church at 20, you know, and um, it was like just letting everything go, and it was a real lose-your-life-to-find-it moment. Um, God, aren't you supposed to take us to a bigger church? No, I, I want you to go there and learn to lead those people. But a funny thing happened, you know, so you, you let go of position, title, and you just, you just go. But the funny thing was, the district leader at the time, his name was Mark Smallcombe, I'd been here two weeks in Newcastle, knew nothing about running a church, didn't have a clue. He asked me to be the assistant director of the Hunter for the, a, for the ACC. And I'm thinking, man, alive. I stepped down two weeks ago from all the good stuff I had going on. I'm taking on a tough situation. And within two weeks, I'm helping to run the district. Mind you, I was terrible at that too, but that's another story. Um, but I just thought, isn't it funny that the things God will do, it's like every time you step down, he, he has a step up that he'll do for you. He'll do that. The freedom of God for your life is always held by you, not another person. Storms in your life really are only a storm in a teacup. But if your world is too small and you only live in a teacup, the storm feels really big when it's not. If you leave the teacup, the storm is gone. That's not belittling what you go through, but, but I just think in some of the things that seem big to us in our flesh, just by living in a bigger world, it can, it can deal with the storm without you having to deal with the storm. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. Three essentials for well-being or security. One, self-acceptance based on God's love for you. Two, confidence in others based on their love for God. But that means... You watch their fruit. As the scripture says, judge them by their fruits. And then over time, people can earn your trust. So you can have good relationships that you can trust. you just got to take a bit of time. And the third thing, contribution to your community as you obey the Holy Spirit. He'll show you where to serve and where to be in your gifting. And you contribute and you feel good about yourself. So if you feel depressed, serve someone else. It's okay to feel pain and sadness, but process them. And if you want to like yourself, love something else and help someone else. Um, I'll just finish you with this quote. I, I love it. When I was chaplain with the Newcastle Jets, there was a coach called John Cosmina and he, I used to do a newsletter for the team with good sayings and stuff in it and he liked this one. He put it up in the dressing room. Um, it's not scriptural, by the way. It's just, <laughs> it's just fun. Dance like nobody's watching. Work like you don't need the money. Play like there's no tomorrow and love like you've never been hurt. Not bad advice. There's, there's some wisdom in there. I'll just read it out again. Dance like nobody's watching. Work like you don't need the money. Play like there's no tomorrow and love like you've never been hurt. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit mccroylifechurch.com.au.